The Automotive News Canada podcast is brought to you by Diamond Coat. Did you know Diamond Coat has a 96% claims approval rate? This translates into happy customers and repeat service business. But really, you get much, much more when you become a Diamond Coat dealer. Advantages like in-house chemical manufacturing, product fulfillment, bilingual claim support, and a highly experienced team with decades of F&I experience. Visit diamondcoat.com to get started. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the April 22nd, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. My guest today recently spent some time in Vietnam, touring the VinFast assembly plant there. He got a behind-the-scenes look at the factory, met with executives, found a Canadian connection in the startup automaker's management team, and has some insight on the company's plan for Canada. We'll hear all about it when I speak with the managing director and publisher of Automotive News Canada, Tim Demopoulos, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Tim, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great. First time on. Glad to have you. Let's start with the broad strokes and then drill down into what VinFast hopes to do in Canada. You recently had a chance to visit the VinFast manufacturing complex in Haiphong, Vietnam. What stood out about this complex um, comparative to other plants you've been to and, and what surprised you the most overseas? Well, the, the plant itself is massive. I mean, it sits on 335 acres of uh, land, and uh, this this is actually reclaimed swampland. The most interesting thing about the plant, uh, besides the fact that it's about 90% automated uh, with about 1,200 robots buzzing about, was uh, that the plant was actually constructed and the first car came off the line in under 21 months. So that is basically from swamp land to making its first car in 21 months. I mean, I've never seen that kind of um, scale and speed to market uh, before. And I've, I've visited uh, you know, many plants in my, uh, my, my career. And it's the first time I've seen a plant kind of emerge uh, out of a swamp uh, and uh, basically be up and running in such a short time uh, and uh, right now it's producing uh, you know cars for the Vietnamese uh, market uh, electric cars uh, gas powered cars e-scooters e-buses and uh, pretty soon it's going to be starting production for uh, the the export market including uh, North America so uh, pretty exciting stuff which vehicles specifically for the North American market will be built there and shipped here? Well, initially it'll be the VF8, which is a uh, sort of mid-sized SUV. Uh, it's all electric and uh, it's going to be, uh, I believe, on sale here sometime sometime in the fall. Uh, and then uh, later on, a larger vehicle called the VF9 is uh, destined to be uh, produced, uh, produced for the North American uh, market. And uh, Listeners may know that uh, VinFast also announced plans to build a plant in North Carolina, a $2 billion plant in North Carolina, uh, which will actually be producing cars for the North American market locally, and it will be using um, uh, local suppliers as well. So beyond the suppliers that they've already have uh, for the Vietnamese plant, 
which are some big names. Uh, you know, they've got like Magna, Tata, um, all sorts of uh, well-known uh, uh, suppliers of the industry are supplying the Vietnamese plant. They're going to be looking for local suppliers at the North American uh, plant in North Carolina when it's up and running. And uh, again, given the speed to market with uh, with the Vietnamese plant, it'll be interesting to see if they could build uh, the plant in North Carolina as fast and start producing cars as quickly as they did in Vietnam. Did you get a sense as to the reason why they wanted to quickly get a plant up and running in North America? Was this a an economic decision? Was it to meet demand? So did they expect more vehicles purchased in North America than they could produce in Vietnam and, and ship here? I just wonder um, what the reason was. Is it really just a sole economic decision that it's cheaper to build where you sell? A line that we've heard from Unifor, for example, for years. Uh, I think to a degree. I mean, the plant in Vietnam it's uh, can is producing currently producing about two hundred thousand uh, cars a year. It's scalable to nine hundred thousand cars. And again, having toured the plant and seeing the space they've got and uh, the the capacity, you can get a, a clear sense that uh, you know if they want to ramp up production as demand increases. Uh, in their export markets, they could do it. So uh, 200,000, or I think it's 250,000 now, uh, with the ability to scale up uh, to 900,000. But given the demand for EVs, uh, in you know the global demand for EVs, um, I think another plant makes sense. And it makes sense to build a, a car in uh, you know, a market you want to be present in. I think uh, beyond the economics of having a plant uh, locally that, uh, that services uh, the local market, it's also... Um, kind of a, a vote of confidence for itself to say, oh, look, we're here, we're committed to selling cars in foreign markets, and uh, North America is one of the uh, the big export markets they're looking at, so why not build a plant there to say we're serious about uh, building cars and building the right cars for, for, for the local market. You mentioned the supply chain. You mentioned Magna. I was curious if there were any can- Canadian connections to the supply chain for this, but I'm wondering... Um, was there any disruptions that you could see in the supply chain? Because we all know what the industry is going through right now in terms of microchip shortages and shipping container shortages and all the other things, these bottlenecks at ports. Was there any disruptions that you could see in the supply chain? And do they foresee any in North America once they start producing here? Yeah, you know, I asked that question and the line seemed <clears throat> uh, very busy. So, uh, they, you know, there nothing was sl- slowed down. They were producing cars at a, at a pretty, uh, pretty quick, uh, quick pace. Uh, one of the things uh, I did ask directly is uh, what the plan is uh, for um, uh, battery supply. Right now, what they're doing is they're using uh, Samsung cells mostly uh, in their in their battery packs, but uh, the plan over the next year, which is uh, a lofty goal, but given their speed to market, I have no doubts that they can probably achieve this. Is they're actually looking at producing their own battery cells, so the cells that they actually outsource from companies like Samsung, they're no longer going to do that uh, in the future. They're going to actually be uh, making their own. Uh, in Vietnam, uh, that will go into their own electric vehicles. So, so they'll not only be a vehicle manufacturer, but they'll be a, um, a battery manufacturer, which is uh, something that manuf- uh, other manufacturers usually outsource outsource completely. Did they mention if any of those batteries for the North American market would be built and and manufactured in North America, or will they be shipped overseas? Have they thought that far ahead or offered that much insight yet? 
No, we didn't get into that uh, much detail. Although, although you know, they were pretty open about uh, about their plans and about their suppliers and about uh, you know how things will likely uh, play out over the next. Uh, next few months and next year or two they didn't get really into you know the granular detail about uh, how north american production is going to be uh, to, to source other than to say that they're going to rely heavily on, on local suppliers we'll be right back after this short break diamond coat has been a leading fni provider to the retail automotive industry for over 50 years our philosophy hasn't changed For us to provide the best products and services, we need total control over every part of our business. From R&D to manufacturing to claims administration, we do everything in-house. We are committed to introducing the best quality products to the market, and recently, through our partnership with Kix Global, we're able to bring the Kix Locate Theft Recovery System to dealerships across Canada. This covert device can be used within your dealership to track, maintain, and safeguard your assets. No wires, no monthly fees, just full protection. It's this kind of commitment that has made Diamond Coat Canada's most trusted warranty providers for all automotive dealers, manufacturers, and customers. To find out more about our new anti-theft products and programs, visit diamondcoat.com. That's diamondcoat.com to get started. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Welcome back to the podcast where I'm speaking with Automotive News Canada publisher, Tim Demopoulos. So let's go from the shop floor to the showroom floor. What does the dealer network look like in Canada when these vehicles arrive? What's the distribution method? What do they plan on doing? How are they going to get these vehicles to customers in Canada? Well, look, uh, so they're, I think they're, they're following uh, the lead of uh, other uh, EV manufacturers that are relative newcomers to the industry in, in a sense that they're not going to have traditional showrooms. They'll have storefronts. I know here in uh, the Toronto area, they're uh, building a storefront at uh, a popular mall called Yorkdale Mall, uh, which is actually home to some other uh, EV uh, manufacturers as well, um, including Lucid. Uh, so, uh, and Tesla for that matter. So, so uh, they're going to be following the lead of some of the other uh, AV manufacturers and creating these, uh, accessible storefronts rather than traditional, uh, dealerships. And much of the, uh, uh, sales uh, process will be done online. So it'll be a mix of online and, uh, experience centers that you're starting to see pop up, uh, pop up from uh, other manufacturers should note too that um, when you look at their Canadian operations they're pretty staffed up uh, I believe uh, they're in, in between 30 employees now and looking to, to go up to 50 uh, in short uh, short order which is actually fairly large for an organization that doesn't actually manufacture here yet uh, so they actually have uh, quite a large contingent of, uh, of, of local people uh, working at VinFast to make sure they get the, uh, the retail experience, um, experience right. Since you brought up staffing and, and local content, let's stay there for a minute. I understand there's at least one Canadian connection um, fairly high up in the VinFast executive chain of command. Tell me about that person. Yeah, the chief engineer, Ahui, his name is, and he's actually uh, was uh, raised in Windsor, went to school in Windsor, and I had an opportunity to to meet him. Uh, and he was, again, the chief engineer for the VF8, which is going to be their flagship uh, and first vehicle that they're going to sell into the North, Amer- North American market. So he was responsible for uh, for the design of it. Um, it's um, interesting that there's a Canadian uh, connection 
there. But um, also, when you look at the executive of uh, of uh, VinFast, uh, the, uh, particularly on the operations side, they seem to be uh, acquiring talent from uh, from lots of established players. So uh, when you look at the executive uh, suite. Um, you know, they're from other companies. So a lot of people have, uh, have jumped uh, ship uh, from international uh, OEMs and are now working, working for FinFast. So not that they're buying talent, but they're making sure that they got the right talent uh, on board to, uh, to make sure that uh, when they do come to this market, uh, North America, and then later, I believe uh, they're also entering into the uh, German, uh, French and uh, Dutch markets that they have uh, the right uh, talent with the right experience in, in those markets. You actually met the chairman of the VIN group, uh, Pham Nat Viong. Um, what was he like and, and how did he get started in the auto business? Because if, if I'm not mistaken, he's not actually an, a, a born and bred and raised auto guy. He sort of got his hands in a lot of pies. I just wonder how he got started um, in basically creating an, an automotive company from nothing. Well, you know, it's a remarkable story. Uh, I, like you said, I did have a chance uh, to, to meet him. And uh, the company itself uh, is a big Vietnamese conglomerate with uh, $21 billion in market cap, which is quite a lot of money. Um, and they've got operations uh, and uh, interests in uh, real estate, uh, theme parks. Uh, they have a hotel chain. Um, they have a university, hospitals. Uh, the Vin Group itself pretty much touches uh, almost every aspect of, of life life in Vietnam, and at the, the head of this is uh, is the chairman uh, of the Vin Group, who actually got his start uh, not too long ago selling instant noodles uh, to the uh, market uh, in uh, Ukraine. So he actually started an instant. Um, noodle business in Ukraine uh, and uh, made a fortune doing that, sold, I believe, his company to Nestle, which, uh, which bought it for, uh, for, uh, for a lot of money. And then he took that money and uh, opened up a, a theme park and a hotel group in Vietnam and then uh, quickly got into other businesses, including uh, automaking. Again, when you look at when VinFast, the, the automaker, started. It only started in 2017, so it's not that old, and it's already uh, the number one automaker uh, by sales and by uh, production uh, in Vietnam. So, clearly, this group of executives knows business, but we've seen U.S. automakers struggle in the past to understand the Canadian market when it comes to selling vehicles. What works in Quebec Sometimes doesn't work in Alberta, for example. So I'm wondering how an EV startup company from Vietnam expects to understand the Canadian market and then the markets within the Canadian markets. Yeah. Well, apart from hiring local talent, like uh, I said, they they did. um, I think one of the big things is uh, when you look at uh, demand for EVs is uh, is exploding, as everybody knows. uh, And. Uh, currently, as you as you well know, uh, every EV that's uh, made is sold. They're not sticking around in showrooms, so there's a lot of demand for for EVs now. And uh, you know, there's also demand for value priced EVs. And not that the the VinFast models are you know uh, bargain basement vehicles. They're competitively priced uh, compared to some of their other other vehicles uh, in the market. And there's a huge appetite for uh, electric vehicles in uh, in BC. Uh, and, and Quebec, which I think is where they're probably going to see 
their biggest uh, initial success uh, simply because there's just so much uh, so much demand. And, uh, you know, we only have to look back a couple of generations ago when Hyundai and, and Kia came to the market. They were relatively unknown and uh, basically had to, to learn on the fly. And now they're, uh, you know, very established uh, automakers with a huge following, not only in Quebec and, uh, and BC, but all over uh, Canada and North America. So, so uh, and looking at the, the, the drive uh, that the employees and uh, the people I met in Vietnam have to, to, to make a go of it, I have no doubt that uh, they're at least focused on success. And if they're focused on success, they have a high probability of, uh, of succeeding, at least in my opinion. They certainly have the, the, the manufacturing infrastructure to do it, and they're certainly hiring the right people in the local markets uh, to uh, to succeed. So uh, if market conditions stay the way they are, at least for the foreseeable future, they're likely, uh, in, at least in my opinion, to uh, to succeed to a degree. The first vehicle to come to Canada later this year, and you mentioned it, will be the VF8 electric SUV. You drove a pre-production model, so we're going to end on the big question. What was it like? How did it drive? Well, the most remarkable thing about the VF8 was how normal it was. Like, I've, I've driven a lot of electric vehicles, pretty much any vehicle that's electric that's for sale in this country. I've uh, had some seat time uh, behind, the, behind the wheel, and, uh, you know, uh, this was as good, at least from a pre-production standpoint, as uh, most of the stuff that's out there now. It's, it's nicely styled, both uh, inside and out. And from a drive standpoint, like I said, it, it, it drove fairly similar to, uh, to most of the EVs that are out, uh, out in the market. So, um, so uh, that in itself to me means that uh, if it's as good as uh, or potentially as good as whatever is out there, then it's, uh, it uh, will likely have uh, some, uh, some broad acceptance. Tim, terrific insight from uh, a trip right to the manufacturing site. Appreciate you being on the podcast and filling us in um, with everything that you learned. Thanks, Greg. I'd like to thank Tim for being my guest this week. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.